All right. Well, good morning. Welcome to H2O. Uh, my name is Brian Wiles. I'm one of the pastors here. Hey, I wanted to start off. Give yourselves a round of applause, right? You know why, right? Because we sprung forward last night, and you guys were all here on time. We weren't sure if anybody would show up, you know, but but you guys did. So you should be proud of yourselves. Well done. Great job. And uh, it's great to have you here. And when people walk in at 11, we can all laugh at them, okay? So you have earned that right to be able to do that. So it's great to have you here. And uh, just wanted to take a minute and introduce uh, Sean Slotty who's going to come up and share with us today. So uh, one of the things that we are so passionate about at H2O is raising up leaders, raising up pastors, and we have a pastors in training program. And on a week like this, a spring break week, it's an opportunity for us to to give one of our pastors in training an opportunity to come up and share. And so I want to introduce Sean. I I really love Sean. I'm proud of this guy. Sean's in seminary right now, and uh, he's a man who loves the Bible. And uh, as he's coming up to share, I'm really excited for him to share with us, and I'm I'm excited for you to get to hear a little bit of his heart. So give him one more uh, warm welcome as he's sharing with us today. All right, how's everybody doing this morning? Good, good. I'm excited to, to get the opportunity to, to be with you guys this morning, um, just to open up God's Word um, together, dig in a little bit, so uh, this will be fun. So I, I wanted to start by um, actually posing a, a question to you guys, and, and the question is, what do you do when your expectations or, or what you know, what do you do when your expectations don't match up with what happens in life? So you, you think one thing, you've been taught to, to expect one thing, you want something maybe, and then life just kind of happens and something totally different, so something totally different happens instead and just completely catches you off guard. Um, the, there was a time in, in my life that I think illustrates this pretty um, pretty easily. Um, you guys may or, may or may not know, I actually went to uh, the Ohio State University in, in Columbus. And uh, yeah, all right, all right. Um, so by, by the time I was there, I was already a Christian. Um, and so a lot of what I did there was just kind of learning what, kind of sort of learning what the other half, how the other half lived, right? Um, learning what um, the academy had to say about truth, learning what the culture had to say about truth, and, and taking what the Bible said and kind of matching those up and seeing where things didn't add up and what the culture was saying and how to kind of refute um, and combat those things. And so uh, maybe some of you here are college students, have been college students, you know how that goes, um, and it's honestly kind of draining, right? Pretty exhausting. So um, when when I saw at the bus stop a little flyer for a biblical archaeology class, I was like super geeked. Now, I'm a total nerd, so, you know, you may not relate to this part, right? But I, I see this flyer, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. I've heard that archaeology just like totally backs up the Bible. This is going to be an easy class. It's going to be a lot of fun. They're definitely not going to say anything that uh, goes against what the Bible has to say. You maybe can tell where I'm headed with this, right? So I'm really excited. I sign up for the class. I get in there on the first day, and, and the prof is kind of setting it up. And um, one of the things he said is, oh, by the way, you, um, you can't trust the Bible for for any kind of history, right? The, the Bible is not trustworthy historically. I'm like, oh, pump the brakes there, guy. Um, so 
So he says, look, I'll, I'll prove it. You know the, the battle of Jericho, right? And everybody knows the battle of Jericho. Joshua and the people of Israel, you know, they, they go marching around the, the big, sturdy walls of Jericho. The walls are so big that um, people can actually live in them, right? And he goes marching around, and they march around, and they blow the horn. The whole thing comes crumbling down, and God gives the victory to the people of Israel, right? Um, so we all know that story. He says, well, there were these researchers who actually figured out if we dig down this far and we do this, that, and the other thing, we should get to the, the place that lines up with when that happened. And if we, if we get down there in the ruins of Jericho, we should find the ruins of these walls, right? And, and we can use those to corroborate the Bible. Well, they dig down there and they didn't find any walls. And so I'll never forget what, what he said is he said, I, I've been there. Here's a, he was a visiting professor from Israel. He said, I've been there. Here's the picture. There are no walls there. This story didn't actually happen. Now, you know, again, I, was a, I feel like I was a strong Christian at that point. Um, you know, I wasn't going to walk into a, a college classroom and have somebody say, the Bible's not real, and me be like, oh, okay, I thought it was, but <laughs> I guess not. Um, but th- this still kind of did catch me off guard a, a little bit. Um, and, and maybe some of you in this room have had those crises of faith, right? The, those times where your faith has been challenged. And, and you know that um, there are kind of two options, right? Um, you can choose to say, God, um, I trust you because of your character. Um, you've led me so far, and I trust you. Um, I don't know what's going on right now, but we're going to get through this together, right? So I'm going to trust you, and, and we'll figure this out. Um, and, and the other you know, it, as silly as it, it can sound, is what I just said before, is to say, well, this was my expectation, but here's what happened, and so I guess this is what's true. And so your, your other option is to, to walk away from God. Um, and so for, for those of us who have been through those crises before and have kind of come out on the other side of those, we know that if you trust God, there's always a good answer. It may not be the answer that you want, it may not come in the time that you want. Um, it may be really hard to get there. But on the other side of that crisis, there's always an answer. And that's what, that's what I found, too. So, you know, a- after this happened, I was really shaken up and, you know, got and did my research and started digging into it. And what I found out is this super cool intelligent method that they used, right, to, to figure out the, the right layer to go down to and look for the walls— they actually did that thing all wrong. They messed it all up. They were looking for the wrong stuff. They were looking in the wrong place. And um, this guy went in and kind of corrected everything. And when you do it right, and you go to the right place and to the right depth, guess what's there? They found the walls. So the, the, the point is, those things happen in life all the time. And, and it kind of um, feeds into the, the big idea today, the sort of binding statement that, that's going to tie up all the stuff that we're going to talk about today. Um, and, and that is when we believe the truth um, instead of lies, the result is, what that produces is reckless obedience. Believing the truth instead of lies produces reckless obedience. Um, so we're going to actually dig into um, the, the story of the road to Emmaus. Um, it's in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. So you can turn there in your Bibles. Um, there are Bibles in front of you in, in the pew. Um, you can also t- turn there in your Bible app um, or on the H2O app. Um, but bef- before we dig in too much, um, 
let's just pray together and, and give this thing to God. So, dear Lord, um, thank you for, for what this is, that uh, you have called us as the church to just come together and worship you um, through, uh, through song and just through um, talking about your word together. Um, so I pray that this time is something that would be glorifying to you, um, that we would see that the truth of your word is better than um, what the world has to offer and what we have to offer ourselves, um, that, that your word is better. God, I pray that you would be with us, Holy Spirit, that you would work on us and change us through uh, your word. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So Luke chapter 24, um, just to set the stage a little bit, this is right after the, the Easter story, right? And so Jesus has died. Um, there's kind of all sorts of r- rumor and confusion and intrigue surrounding, like, you know, where, where is Jesus? Like, what, what has happened with this? Um, and so we, we dig into our text. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all of these things that had happened, you know, the, the trial and the death of Jesus. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. and While he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And so... I feel like this is kind of, a, it's a really cool story. It's one of the, it's one of the first accounts of, of like the risen Jesus. 
And, and it's kind of funny, right, because they're just sort of walking along, and, and Jesus appears, and just imagine him with, like, one of those, like, glasses and fake nose and mustache kind of deals, right? You know, and he's walking along, and he's like, oh, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, what, do you live under a rock? And, you know, he, telling them about all the things that had happened with the, the Easter story, and, and, and they walk together, and no, st- stay with us. You, we don't know who you are, but, like, you know what's going on. You just taught us through all the scriptures about Jesus, um, and then they sit down together, and then it is Jesus, and then he disappears, and, and then they freak out, and they run back to Jerusalem, right? It's, a, it, it's kind of a, a cool story of the, one of the first appearances of the risen Jesus and, and people's uh, response to him, but one thing that, that always kind of struck me um, when I've read this in the past is there's this really weird part where you know, Jesus asks them, what are you talking about? And, and other than the sass that he kind of gives them of like, are, are you the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know what is going on? Um, the, the disciple, Cleopas, gives a pretty straightforward account of like the Easter story. He tells it, you know, um, we, we thought this man, Jesus, was the Messiah. He did a lot of miracles, uh, was a really cool guy. Um, he, he was um, convicted and condemned by our leaders, uh, he, he died, but then there was all this intrigue, and um, some women in our party told us that, that he, wasn't, uh, he wasn't there. And, and he goes through this, and to me it seems pretty straightforward. Um, but what does Jesus do? Jesus kind of flips out on him and says, you know, Oh foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And that always kind of confused me. So why does, why does Jesus seem to yell at, at these guys? Um, and I think it has to, to do with two things when we take a little bit closer look. Um, the, the two things, the, the reason for their walk and these two hidden misconceptions. So first off, let's look at the, the reason they were walking. Maybe you never thought about that before. I know when I've read it in the past, I haven't. It's like, well, they're just walking. I mean, it seems like a thing that you would do. Um, <laughs> but uh, let's take a look back. Let's uh, roll it back a little bit to a little bit earlier in the book of Luke. Um, it's actually the, the story that describes what Cleopas talks about, where these two women go um, to the tomb. You know, they're, they're mourning. They're, they're really, really, really in a sense of mourning about what has happened to Jesus. And so they go um, to just mourn at the tomb and, and to honor him. Um, and they go there, and the tomb is open, and it's empty. And there are angels there, and the angels say, hey, he's risen, just, just like he said he was going to be. And so the women, hysterically excited, you know, they, they run back and they tell the disciples. And so in this first group, we see um, obedience, right? They, they're honoring the Lord. Um, they hear the word of the Lord as it's passed down by these angels. They believe it, and they go back and they tell other people. You know, th- this is an obedient group, these two women. Um, the, the next group, though, are, are the, all the disciples who have stayed in Jerusalem um, after, after Jesus has been crucified. And they seem like they're a little bit more on the fence because they disregard the testimony of the women, right? They're like, yeah, you're just hysterical. That didn't really happen. It's, I'm sure that you saw that, but that didn't really happen. Um, so that doesn't really seem very faithful, obviously. They're not believing what God has said. But at the same time, they're... They're still in Jerusalem. Now, none of them live in Jerusalem. Um, the man that they followed there is dead now, seemingly. Why are they still in Jerusalem? It almost seems like they're, you know, they're all still together. They're waiting 
for something to happen. They probably don't even know what it is, but they're waiting for something. And so, so they're kind of on the fence because they've not believed the testimony, but they haven't run away either. And that leads us to this last group, our two disciples on the road. They, instead of staying with the, the other disciples, have thrown in the towel, have turned their backs, and have walked away. They're going home. Okay, so the, the reason for this walk is not just like a Sunday stroll. They're not just out and about. They're going home. And that leads to these two misconceptions, which you can kind of miss if you just read quickly through what Cleopas, the disciple, says. But I want to take a look at this one sentence um, in his whole kind of report, right? So, so he's going on, and he says, but we had hoped that he, Jesus, was the one to redeem Israel. There are two hidden misconceptions in this, this thing that he says. The first thing, look at this, but we had hoped. The idea being, the elephant in the room is, they had hoped, but they don't hope anymore. Jesus was a man who was mighty in word and deed, but now he's dead. And so he has this misconception uh, about who Jesus is and, and where Jesus is. The next thing is he says this, this interesting thing. We hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Notice he doesn't say anything like we hoped he was going to die for the sins of the world um, or that, that he was going to be the, the light of the world or the hope of everyone or anything like that. He says we hoped he would redeem Israel. So what's he talking about? It's actually kind of shorthand for a belief in that time of what the Messiah was going to be like. See, the, the people of Israel at that time, they were, they were enslaved by the Romans, right? They were under Roman control. And they were looking for the Messiah that ultimately came in the, the form of Jesus, right? But their hope for the Messiah was a strong military leader who was going to save them from the Romans and who was going to set up a strong earthly kingdom who is going to reestablish the earthly kingdom like of King David or King Solomon. You know, they're looking for a military leader who's going to come riding in on a war horse and save the day. And, and we get a picture of this in the Gospels because remember, like on Palm Sunday, when Jesus comes in, he's riding in on the colt and um, people are laying down palm branches and waving palm branches and they're, they're excited about him. You know, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. Some people are just excited that he's there. Some people are worshiping him. Um, it's a crazy scene because they're expectant of what might happen, right? But obviously we know from this vantage point that that, that is so small compared to what Jesus really had in store, which is to save anyone who would believe in him through what he did on the cross. And so we have these two misconceptions. I'm going to kind of draw them out here. What Cleopas is not saying, but is basically saying, is that my circumstances are what's true, and popular opinion is what's true. My circumstances are what's true, and popular opinion is what's true. Now, before, before we get too crazy about that and, you know, make him look like an idiot or whatever, let, let's, let's take a look at his actual circumstances, okay? He said, well, Jesus was a great man, but he died because he watched Jesus die. It's not an illegitimate circumstance, right? 
the, we know that some of the disciples actually followed Jesus as he was being tried, as he was convicted, as he was crucified. Um, many other disciples watched from a distance. There were many witnesses to what happened. And so these two disciples probably either were there or they heard this from somebody who saw it, right? Their circumstances are not illegitimate, not illegitimate. Um, Popular opinion can also be really strong. As far as they were concerned, you know, that, that idea about the triumphant Messiah might have been like the right way to read the Bible. It might have been the way that they were taught. And so there are these really strong things that are, that are driving them. But that's just the thing. These are misconceptions. And when we follow misconceptions, we are led to make missteps. We're led to make bad decisions. Let me... Let me just give you an example. Uh, I talked about um, going to Ohio State. Well, let me tell you how I got there. Um, at the ripe old age of 16, sitting in my high school English class, um, the guidance counselor walked in and said, okay, today is the day that you will figure out what you are going to do for the rest of your life. Oh, that's today? Oh, jeez. Okay, so... She says, okay, you need to figure out what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And so you need to figure out what degree you need to go do what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And you need to figure that out because you need to figure out what schools are the best in those programs. And you need to figure that out so you can start applying for them. You can figure out what test scores you need. Um, You can start doing that. And you need to do that so you can start visiting those schools two years ahead, right? Because if you don't visit the schools, you won't know which ones you want to go to. If you don't know which ones you want to go to, you won't apply. If you don't apply, you won't get in. If you don't get in, you won't get your degree. And if you don't get your degree, you won't be able to do what you're supposed to do for the rest of your life. And before you know it, you'll be living in a van down by the river. Okay? It's like, wow, that's really intense. Uh, Okay, so i got to figure out what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Well, what should I do? Well, the people around me seem to think that I'm really smart, and they have a lot of expectations for me. Um, So probably um, I need to be a doctor, or I need to be a lawyer, or I need to be the president, right? These These are my options, okay? So, doctor, I don't want to go to school for that long. Lawyer, I don't want to go to school for that long. Uh, President, I would like to keep my soul. Um, Well, I'm out of options. Wait, wait. I could do Dr. Light. I think that someone that I know went to school for pharmacy for only four years. So I can go to school for only four years, which, by the way, probably wasn't true then and is certainly not true now. Um... I could go to school for only four years, get paid a bunch of money to count to 20 and 50. This will be great. This is a no-brainer. So, so I apply to the only one school, Ohio State. I apply there. I get into the pharmaceutical sciences program. Um, I, I get into the, the College of Pharmacy as a freshman. Um, get into the, the Health Science Scholars Program, the, the Living Learning Community, which is a really big deal. But um, as sort of a harbinger of what's to come, right? For, for those of you who don't know what a living learning community is, um, it's a community of people who live together and learn together. Now, I 
lived with my parents 20 minutes away from Ohio State um, to save money. And so I neither lived nor learned with this community of people. And so you could, this is just a taste of what's to come, right? So I I get in, um, I'm behind on one of my math classes because, you know, I wasn't good at math or whatever. Um, There's also this class that you had to take called Pharmacy 100, which was like, what are you going to do with your degree for the rest of your life? Um, And so every day you would walk in there and they would say, okay, guys, I know you're super excited about starting your research. (laughs) Oh, I am? I don't I don't think that I am. And it was just like this for an entire, an entire quarter. And so what, what I learned is that I, I woke up one day and realized, wait a minute, I based this entirely on what other people wanted for me. Not even what other people wanted for me, but what I thought that they wanted for me. Okay, And I didn't consult God. I didn't think about the gifts that he had given me and what he might have actually made me to do. And obviously, when I began to follow that path, I wound up here. So it goes to show that when you follow these misconceptions of your circumstances, um, of the popular opinion of of those people around you, um, you can end up in some kind of ridiculous places. Um, For us, you know, we might say, um, my my bank account doesn't look the way that I would like, and so... um, you know, I'm not going to be generous to the people around me. Um, I'm going to be really worried about my livelihood. Um, you might say, man, my day is always so hard. Um, I have to deal with all of these people all the time. You know, I deserve to get to, to, get to lash out at people sometimes because, like, I have earned it by dealing with all these people. Um, you know, a little heavier, you might say, God has, has taken someone that I love. Um, if he's real, he's, he's certainly not concerned about my well-being. Um, we, likewise, we have lots of popular opinions around us, lots of narratives that um, people like to write. You know, they, they might say that, oh, you know, it's cool if you're a Christian, it's cool if you read the Bible, but you don't believe that that stuff actually happened, right? Um, you can't really trust that for anything. It's not historically reliable. Some people might say, well, the, the Bible teaches about um, fidelity, um, you know, being true to, to one spouse for the rest of your life. Um, it, it teaches about faithfulness, but honestly, that's kind of boring. Um, you, you know, it, it's not really realistic, so let's not do that. Um, there are people who say um, there's, a, there's a right side that you need to be on, right? You need to fall in line, and you need to believe this and this and this, or um, you're a bigot, or you're stupid, or you're short-sighted, or, or whatever, There are these circumstances out here that we have in our lives and these popular opinions that we come across, right? Um, But the interesting thing about a lot of those, again, they're legitimate, okay? They're they're not just non-existent. We have to wrestle with them. But a lot of them are rooted um, in this anxiety, okay? Pretty much in, in all of these places, we have an opportunity. Do we choose to believe and feed anxiety, or do we choose to believe and feed the truth? Um, One thing our our culture, I think, has gotten um, pretty good at is acknowledging the existence of anxiety, right? Um, Of being open about feelings, being open about our struggles. And that's honestly really good, right? Before people were, were kind of bottling that stuff up and not admitting, hey, I'm a person with struggles. There are things that, that I deal with that, um, 
that are hard, that make me feel really bad. Um, and that's all really good. But I think that, that we can swing the pendulum a little bit too far. And before you know it, everyone is saying like, oh, you know, I just really struggle with anxiety and I just can't even get out of bed in the morning. There are, there are people like that. I, I don't want to invalidate that. But the Bible calls us to actually, no matter where we are with that, to a higher calling of believing the truth. No matter whether we have a, a medical struggle with anxiety or maybe an average struggle with anxiety, we're all called to the same calling of feeding the truth, not feeding the anxiety. And so with all of these things, with our, our circumstances, our popular opinions that we run into, we have the choice to feed those circumstances and continue to um, just be dragged down by them or to feed the truth. And so that leads in, into the, the, next, the next point, right? Okay, so I know that these circumstances, these popular opinions, they're not good. I, I shouldn't feed them. Um, what do I do instead? Well, let's take a look at what Jesus actually said. Because when, when he responded to these two disciples, he didn't just call them foolish and stop there. So he says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And so he says, foolish and slow of heart to believe the scriptures. Jesus immediately, he catches, he, he catches this, um, these hidden misconceptions, these things that are lurking and what the disciple says, and immediately turns it back around and says, you're not believing what the Bible says. You're not believing what the Bible says. And so here's what he does. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself, which I think is interesting, right? First off, you would much rather be hearing that sermon than this one, right? You would much rather be hearing Jesus talk from all of the Bible about himself, the, the best preacher who ever lived. The second thing, though, is think about what scripture that would have been. Notice he says, Moses and all the prophets. Well, it couldn't have been the New Testament because the events, the events that the New Testament would be written about are happening right now. This is the book of Luke. It's happening right now. There was no New Testament. So Jesus, from the Old Testament, that Old Testament that we sometimes like not to read very much, um, he preached from about himself the whole thing. Let me, let me just give you an example of how this is possible because you, you might be saying, yeah, I, I've read the Old Testament and you know, I, don't, I don't really believe you. Um, so genealogies, you know what genealogies are? Um, in, the, in the Old Testament, at some points, there are these big, long lists of names. Just so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. And, you know, sometimes you're in, your, in the morning with your cup of coffee, and you're like, oh, my gosh, why is this here? Um, <laughs> but I am here to tell you it is there for a reason. Do you know that every time that you read a genealogy, you are reading the fulfillment of a promise? So let's go back a little bit. Um, Genesis, I think, 15. Um, God meets with Abraham, who would be the father of all of the, the nation of Israel. Um, and he says, okay, Abraham, two things I'm going to do for you. I'm going to make you a great nation, and through you, all nations are going to be blessed. Okay, and obviously Abraham is like, sweet, I'm super old, my wife is barren, like, okay. Um, 
But, but he sticks with God, and it happens. And so, fast forward to the book of Numbers. The, the people of Israel um, are, are transitioning from Egypt to the promised land, right? That promise is being fulfilled. They're getting a nation. And every time you see, and the tribe of so-and-so had thousands and thousands of people, what did God do? God kept his promise. He said he would make Israel a great nation. He did. Okay, so if he's going to keep that promise, he's probably going to keep the other one, right? What's the other promise? Through Abraham, all nations would be blessed. How are all nations going to be blessed? Well, eventually, through Abraham's line is going to be born Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. So Jesus, from the Old Testament, and there are tons and tons and tons of examples, preaches about himself. And so we can see the implicit command to us. When we're tempted to be drowned out by our circumstances or to be pulled to complacency by popular opinion, the Bible is what recenters us. The truth is what recenters us, specifically the truth of the gospel, the truth about Jesus. So, but it doesn't just stop there, right? Um, because that, that calls for a response. And so let's see, let's see what happens. So he, Jesus preaches this amazing sermon on the way to Emmaus. It's getting dark. They say, stay with us. We don't know who you are, but it, it's getting dark. It's dangerous out there. You need to stay with us. Um, so Jesus comes in with them. They have a meal. Um, they find out it's him, and he disappears like that. And they say, did not our hearts burn within us? as he revealed to us, as he opened to us the scriptures. And what do they do? Immediately, immediately, well, let's just read it. They rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. Which is interesting, because they just said to Jesus, hey, Jesus, don't, don't keep walking. It's dark out there. It's dangerous. It's dangerous to go alone, right? You need to, you need to stay in here. Um, but as soon as they find out that it's him, they're so excited they've now aligned with the truth instead of their misconceptions. And they say, we got to go. We have to go tell the disciples that this happened. And they get on the road, pitch black, could have been jumped. Any number of things could have happened to them. And they just go. And they just go. And they tell the disciples everything that's happened. And what we see is that when we believe the truth, instead of lies, the result is reckless obedience reckless obedience. And so let's, let's bring this back to us a little bit. Um, I talked about earlier the, the three different groups kind of in, in this story. The, the faithful women, the disciples who were on the fence, and then these two disciples who had walked away. Everyone in this room can probably put themselves in one of these groups, can probably think about uh, a time when they were one way or the other. Well, you've just been presented the truth, the, the truth about Jesus, that though we um, all have the, the, the desire and the tendency to rebel, to run away from God, um, to, to try to um, be our own gods, that it doesn't work, and that um, it separates us from the God that we were meant, that we were designed to be with. But God wasn't satisfied to leave the situation like that. And so he came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross 
took a punishment that he didn't deserve, a punishment that we deserved, so that we could be restored to God if we would choose it. And that's the truth that we have the opportunity to align our lives with today. So does your heart burn within you? Does your heart burn within you? Are you a faithful, one of the faithful women? That's awesome. What's, what's the next thing that you can do in reckless obedience for the Lord? Are you on the fence or even walking away from God? It's, we're glad that you're here regardless. But you have the opportunity. God does not want that for you. Your life will be infinitely full of purpose if you take that step and align yourself with the truth instead of misconceptions. Does your heart burn within you? I'm going to ask the band to come up as we pray.